Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I'm just finishing my Lessons from Lost podcast. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Linda McIver. And what lesson did she learn? She learned all about finding comfort in spirituality after losing her sister in a terror attack. That's got to be a very tough thing to deal with. It was. Did she have a porcupine to help her? No, but maybe the porcupine exists in the spiritual world. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to the Lessons from Loss podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly what we learn that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host Rachel Smith and each episode I speak with a different guest. Before we start I'd like to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their stories and the impact that those stories have on you the listener please make sure you look after yourself whilst you listen. Today I'm chatting with Linda McIver, who tragically lost her sister Elaine in the Manchester terror attack in 2017. To help her deal with this loss, Linda discovered hypnotherapy and has now trained as a hypnotherapist and is in training as a life coach in order to help others. She's also had a spiritual awakening along the path. So welcome, Linda. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming on here. Gosh, that must have been really terrible to have lost your sister so suddenly in that way. And I wonder how you even begin to make sense of it all. Are you able to to start just sort of sharing with us what, what happened that day and in the immediate aftermath or perhaps a little bit about your sister? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, well, Elaine was um, five years younger than me, and you know, as soon as she was born, I, I was a five-year-old, and uh, she was like my own little living doll. I used to feed her and change her nappies and look after her and things like that. As a five, as a five-year-old back in the seventies, we used to yeah. do all those sorts of things. <laughs> so um, we were very close. We were, we were always really, really close, and uh, she was there supporting me throughout lots of difficult times in my life and um, as we grew older we you know we, we always remained very close um, and the actual morning of the attack uh, well the morning after the attack I should say um, I'd woken up and I'd heard the news that uh, a bomb had gone off at the Manchester Arena Ariana Grande concert and uh, the particular news that I'd heard was that um, a, a little eight-year-old girl, it was, I don't know whether she'd actually died at that point, I can't remember, it was all a bit of a blur now, um, the youngest victim had uh, was, you know, either lost her life or was in hospital at that point and I just remember feeling such you know, shock and, and sadness for the, for the poor parents and anybody else involved. At this point, I had no idea Elaine was even there. Oh, God. So, um, yeah, so arrived at work, ready to start, and uh, we, we obviously had a little chat in work about it for mm. five, ten minutes, and I went upstairs and started my day just like any other day, really. Um, logged onto my computer, I work in an office, and my phone went and the receptionist put a call through to me and said it was 
had a name which was vaguely familiar, but then I deal with lots of lots of tenants throughout my job anyway. Uh, uh, I work in, in rentals, so deal with tenants all the time. Mm. I kind of thought it was one of the tenants, but um, when you hear a name out of context and then when the call came through, I quickly realised it was a friend of my sister's on the phone. Just hearing the name out of context, I, I didn't realise it was it was her at first. Yeah. Um, and she sounded quite panicked and concerned and said Elaine hadn't turned in for work. Um, and I was sort of shrugging my shoulders and sort of, okay, so what? You know, was that a problem? Is, is she maybe overslept? Or she sounded really sort of panicky and I couldn't quite understand why she was so, so panicky. Um, and then she sort of realised that I had no idea that uh, she sort of said, you know, you, you do know Elaine was at that concert last night. And obviously, you know, I mean, even now just saying it, I get goosebumps through my body. It, it sort of, no, I didn't know, obviously. So suddenly the tone changed. And, Gosh, um, yes. Yeah. So they hadn't been able to get in touch with Elaine. And um, she, she hadn't turned up for work and she, they knew that, she was supposed to be picking up um, her, her partner's daughter from the concert. Um, oh, so she hadn't actually been at the concert herself. She no. was she was just picking up. Just just the taxi, yeah. Just oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so we had no idea. It was just a little errand. She was she was running, and mm. you know the. The people in work, obviously, she'd been talking about going out for a meal in Manchester that night and asking her colleagues, you know, where's a nice place to go that's near the arena and getting recommendations. So everybody knew that she was on her way there in her day-to-day life, but I hadn't spoken to her for a week or so and this was just a little errand and I didn't know she was yeah. she was there. My parents didn't know. So that was, you know, that, that was the, the moment life changed really um just sort of put the phone down got the coat yeah did you have a gut feeling at that point that 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 was it um it's a difficult one I I'm I think I refused to believe it but Mm. there was there was a small part of me that I, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person, I, you know, and I, I won't, I won't accept. I, won't, I don't look on the, the, the dark side straight away, you know. Yes, I kind of yeah. think I'm the kind of person that always thinks the best rather than the worst. And my first thoughts were, well, you know, maybe she's just injured in hospital. Maybe she's just lost her phone. But yeah. Then the other part of me knew she was a police officer, and she would have by hook or by crook let us know that she was okay if she was able to do so we knew that sort of from from the very beginning so there was obviously a a grave concern that she was probably injured um you know uh didn't like to think of anything else really but but just the worst case scenario would be that she was in a hospital somewhere you know Mm -hmm. unconscious Maybe. Um, so yeah, it, I, I told a colleague what had happened and left straight away. Um, 
drove to my parents' house, which was about half an hour from where I work. And by the time I got to my parents' house, they had a phone call from the same lady who called me at work. So they were sat sort of dazed in the kitchen with the yeah. TV on, um, with the breaking news, you know, the banners. Yes, and yes, the TV, right. As we've all seen so many times. And it was, it was just a really surreal situation to be in it was a you know it was a sunny spring late spring may day um beautiful day and this horror was unfolding in front of our very eyes on on tv it was just surreal it's on tv you can see all the you know the the replays of the bomb going off and horrific scenes on tv and um there were phone numbers at the bottom for people to ring if they were missing anybody so we we immediately got on the phone and tried to contact this number but it was constantly engaged and you just kind of feel a sense of panic you don't know what to do you want to sort of get in the car and drive to Manchester and be in the thick of it but then you want to stay at home in case the phone goes and you know, we kind of made this decision, well, the best thing we can do is just, just stay at home. And by this time, obviously, her police colleagues were alerted as well. And, uh, and we were just beside ourselves, really, just wondering what on earth we could what on earth we could do. But at the same time, feeling so helpless that we thought we'd just everybody's worst nightmare, you know. Hearing you say what you went through, you know, Every one of us, you know, when when these terrible things happen, and as you say, it's all kind of unfolding on television, on the screens, and and it's almost as if life just kind of feels like it's it's somehow never ever going to be the same again. And that's yeah. you know, that's for people who aren't actually personally affected by it. So mm-hmm. for you to be sitting there watching that, knowing that in some capacity, you know, your, your life was was impacted by it. Gosh, mm. that's... Well, they were, they were reporting on the news that victims uh, injured and different people were being ferried off to various hospitals around, you know, a, a certain radius of Manchester. It wasn't mm-hmm. just the one hospital. So we got a list of all the hospitals where the injured were being taken and you know frantically started ringing through through all the different hospitals meanwhile we're trying to ring you know various other police colleagues you think you think because your loved one's in the police you might be able to sort of get a backdoor of information but um it was all very chaotic to be honest people trying to find out what they could and and phone calls coming in and us phoning out and yeah, we, we started, I, I started to ring around all the hospitals and had a list of about a dozen, I think, in, in all the surrounding areas. And by the second, at each hospital, I was asking if there was any sign of my sister or her partner. And um, by the second hospital, we knew that her partner was at that hospital and he was in a very serious condition. Right. Um, when we first heard that we asked his name and they, they told us he was there, it was initially elation because, of course, you know, 
okay, he's alive. Elaine was with him. Elaine's alive, you know. Um, yeah. It was just immediate elation. But but when we heard that they had nobody by Elaine's name, um, we were also asking whether they had any unidentified people mm. as well. And they said they didn't have any unidentified people and nobody with Elaine's name. Then obviously the elation just sunk straight back down to, you know, fear again. Um, oh, goodness, yeah. So we knew he was in a bad way. But then it was kind of right, okay, well, she must have been taken somewhere else. Um, but we know he's injured, she's probably injured. That can be the only explanation. I think Dad broke down at some point when we got sort of halfway down the lift and there was still no sign. And as we got down further and further, the hope started to fade with mm. the phone numbers, really. You know, I, got, I remember saying as I got to the bottom one, sort of, you know, if she's not in hospital, and she's not conscious, there's only, you know, the realisation dawns on you. My dad kind of broke down first. He sort of, you know, uh, broke down in tears and said we've lost her and, and I wouldn't wouldn't allow him to think that. I said, we don't know that. We don't know that for sure. And I, wouldn't, I refused to sort of um, engage in that kind of thought at that point. I've, I've gone into adrenaline mode, if you like. I'd taken over the phone and sort of, you know, taken over the mum and dad were sort of sat there in the days I kind of went into this I don't know mode yeah well, I mode. it's almost a, 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 um, a fight mode almost I mean, yeah. it wasn't fighting it's it's that fighting for for hope for survival isn't it whereas Absolutely. perhaps your parents were in then that kind of freeze freeze yeah. mode yeah. Of, of having had that you know, yeah, terrible absolutely. sort of realization yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we ran the last hospital and, of course, you know, no sign. Meanwhile, the day's dragging on and uh, it's just the longest day ever in my life, I think I can ever remember. It was obviously a bit of a blur, but then so many things are so clear as well. It's quite strange when, when something like this happens. You don't know whether you've ever been in a, it's almost like maybe when you've been in, a, in an accident or something, it, everything kind of goes into slow motion. And it's only afterwards, it's almost a blur as well as slow motion. But yeah. there's little pockets of information and detail that you can just remember with such clarity. So, yeah, it, it was just obviously horrendous. But we, as the day went on, we were receiving more and more phone calls from various people in the police, police liaison officers and different things. And then none of them ever said anything definitive, but, but you know, when the phone calls start coming through with, you know, describe what Elaine looked like, describe what she was wearing, what she may have been wearing, what, did she have any distinguishing body marks, you know, you, oh, but they yeah. don't tell you that she's one of the victims. You know by this point when you're receiving phone calls that they want descriptions of Elaine and, you know, you, you know. But then, you know, they, they rang and said that they were dispatching somebody to the house. As I say, we had to wait for them to, to drive over from Manchester. So they arrived at the door and started around the table and told us, you know, that she, she was possibly um, one of the victims and that they were all still in situ and would have to remain there, unfortunately, until 
the scenes of crime people could do all their, yeah. their work so that was you know obviously the defining moment really mm. we knew by that point obviously um but to actually you know when you're actually told it's final and it's yeah it, it's just the pit of your stomach it, your whole body every fiber in your body you just you're shaking with adrenaline you you it was it was strange because we, we cried but we didn't cry a lot at that point you kind of more in shock so that that sort of all came in a bit later I think again it sort of the adrenaline kick thing doesn't it phoning my daughters they, they were growing up um and living away my daughters at that time and my daughters and I and my sister I brought my daughters up as a single mum and Elaine was very much their second parent if you like yeah, you know yeah. um she didn't have children of her own. Uh, we were very close, the four of us. We'd go on holidays together and do birthdays and all kinds of you know, festive times together and every single year. So um, letting them know was heartbreaking, obviously. Um, mm. Over the phone as well, not in person. But they yeah, were so hard. The time. Just the phone call you never, ever, ever dream that you'd ever have to make, you know. Um, no, because you just, oh, crikey, you just must have wanted to have just swept them up into your arms as you're mm. telling them. Just, uh, just tremendous. you just numb. You're just in shock. Elaine was one of the, we knew, obviously, on the, the following day, after, I think the bomb went off on the Monday, and it was tea time on Tuesday that we found out but we tried to keep it out of the press. I think Elaine was one of the last ones that they identified and we managed to keep it quiet until the Thursday. We just wanted to let family and friends know we had had friends and family in Australia and different parts of the country and whatnot. And we just didn't want them to find out by, some some of our friends did find out by by seeing it on the news, but it, it was just, Obviously, mm. we just wanted that privacy. We were afforded that for a couple of days, but there's only so many days we could keep it back, really, before literally within five minutes of it being announced by the media, there was a knock on my front door. How they find you, I mm. do not know, but, um, you know, I couldn't believe it. And it just makes you angry. You, you really yes. know all the time ever, you know, the grief and the sorrow, and you've got media knocking on the door with you know microphones and to say things and it, it was oh, just such an intrusion it was it was just just you've got your grief to deal with and you've got the public just just completely sort of throws you really and you, you just don't know how you know being thrown into something like that it, it, I'd never want to be a celebrity let's put it that way with that no. sort of it's just horrendous and they were they were at mum and dad's house within half an hour and dad wasn't in any fit state to sort of uh you know we had to try and restrain my dad <laughs> it have ended up being done for assault or something if he'd mm. had his way with uh chasing one guy up the road i think at one point but um it affects people in different ways obviously but it does yeah, but just, gosh you just don't need that on top of everything else yeah so then that was the, the whirlwind beginning of everything changed forever really in the family Elaine was 
the hub if that if, if there was a hub to any family you know you probably know from your own family there is a there's always you know a dynamic within every family and every yeah. family has its matriarch its patriarch it's the person that does all the organizing the person that always shows up late the person who's you know the grumpy one the person yeah, who's, yeah. <laughs> you know that we all have these family dynamics and Elaine was definitely she arrived the latest she was the youngest in the family but by god she was she made her appearance known <laughs> she certainly did yeah she kind of looked after everybody in the family she was the one who organized all the events she turned up made everybody smile you know we received hundreds and hundreds of cards and comments and some people that we didn't even know who had their lives brightened in some way by something Elaine had said or done or made them feel in a certain way she was just one of life's you know amazing people she brightened up everyone's life really I'm just thinking about my experiences of you know receiving lots of cards when my husband passed away and on the one hand it's it's lovely that you just feel there's so many people who care and you know particularly the cards that may be put in sort of like a you know something that they admired or a memory or or something like that you know which was lovely but by the same token you know was completely overwhelming yeah I almost used to dread the postman coming and just hearing like this thud 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 of all the cards but obviously as time went on I was able then to sort of look at them and and reflect back and and really appreciate them but yeah I mean even that in itself is is overwhelming it is indeed and and it kind of it almost puts an added pressure on you doesn't it to be brave all these Mm. people come coming to see you and visit you and you know wanting to pass on their condolences and and as you say whilst it, it it is lovely it almost puts that added pressure on you, doesn't it, to be available for those people who knock on your door and they're all well-meaning. And in, in lots of ways, you know, it carried us through, but in other ways it also meant that we, we couldn't grieve privacy. So, yeah, it, that was quite hard. I, I remember when the first bunch of flowers arrived, I was at mum and dad's, you know, every day, dawn till dusk, just going home to sleep. But the first bunch of flowers arrived and mum just broke down and she said I don't want any flowers I don't want any flowers I don't want anybody to send me flowers flowers are only going to die and you know and it was kind of symbolic of, of Elaine's death and we set up a, a just giving page in uh, Elaine's name so that anybody that wanted to send flowers could could donate uh, yes. instead uh, to the charity Elaine Elaine actually had a standing order coming out of her bank for a cancer charity cancer's touched a couple of us in the family I suffered with cancer years ago and Elaine supported me through that and then the year before in 2016 mum had cancer yeah it was close close to our heart so we set that page up and raising page up and we, we made it known through social media and yes, yeah. if anybody wanted to send flowers, please just donate instead. Mm. It, it was it was so touching the, the messages that came through on there as well. Um, and it was just 
it became a sort of a daily ritual to kind of see what the total was and read the messages to mum and dad and it, it was quite comforting in the end um to read the messages and and watch the watch the, the amount rising and rising and I think we ended up raising over ten thousand pounds oh goodness which was just phenomenal really yeah um, yeah and obviously you know, testament to the number of people who cared and loved for Elaine indeed so that was a wow moment out of what, what possibly would have been just a load of dead flowers in the living room you know yes <laughs> I didn't I didn't return back to work then for gosh I think it was November to work in the November I didn't cope very well and I went off sick again but I went back in January just part-time after that so I went from full-time work to part-time work just because because my mental sort of capacity at that point um it was it was only just starting to hit you know yes Um, so at what point did you come across hypnotherapy it was probably during that time I was off in, in, in that six months, we ended up lots of difficult times um, in that six months that I was off work. There were complications with the legalities around Elaine's estate. Right. So we had that on top of our grief to deal with. So it was really, really, really difficult time. You know, people don't realise, you know, when they lose someone, it's not just, it's not just the funeral and the grief. There's all the estate matters Gosh, and the daughter, yes. you know, the tidying up of, of a whole a person's whole life. That that wasn't plain sailing at all. Um, there were lots of complications. So we we had a horrendous time with that. Um, in all honesty, and it, it mum and dad had a, a really bad time coping with it. So I very much took on the mantle of looking after Elaine's affairs as well yeah. as looking after my parents as well as making sure my daughters were okay as well as making sure uh you know I was still sort of trying to keep myself yeah well. I was gonna say who was looking after you in all of this <laughs> so yeah I, I mean I had lots we had lots of support supportive people my my now husband we got married uh, last year you know he was a amazing support mm. for me he was he kept us all in good spirit you know I did have good support I started looking into just at night time, you know, when the lights go out, you're in bed, just 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 finding myself sobbing into the pillow, you know, um, which lots of people who've gone through grief probably could relate to. In order to maybe console myself or distract myself, started listening to meditations and um hypnosis and through sort of looking up those kinds of things I came across audio books I think the first the first audio book I listened to which was a complete epiphany for me was um Many Lives Many Masters by Brian Weiss he is a he's a psychotherapist I think don't quote me on that but he um he'd he'd had a loss and he hypnotised somebody who started telling him things that nobody else knew about his bereavement. He'd lost a child and he took that deeper with with other clients and I think he started tapping into 
almost a storyline that came to him through different people that wouldn't have even known each other. So almost like an entity from somewhere was coming to him from another plane or another dimension or Mm. whatever you want to call it, all coming through with the same messages and a continuation of the same story from all these different people who had nothing to do with each other. So quite profound, really. Um, We've got all these memoirs and stories about soul contracts and how the spiritual world works and the hierarchy and how it's set up and how we how our souls ascend and it 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 just whether I was just in that place at that time and I needed to hear this everyone's got their own views on it but for me it just made complete sense you know one of one of the amazing things that always I remember coming and seeing my mum and saying oh mum you know, it all makes sense now. You know, I, I we planned all this before we got here and, you know, it was always supposed to happen exactly as it's happening and it's all happened for a reason and, you know, and whether I needed to hear that, whether that was just something I grasped onto, but that was the start of something that started to happen for me, really, and I started to become obsessed with people who'd had near-death experiences and, you know, what happens to them and they go into the light and they, they see a deity, whether it be God or whether it be a light or whether it be, you know, people always talk about this presence who tells them about, you know, their soul journeys and, you know, life is never ending and we do live on after our physical bodies gone. It just comforted me, no end. I've never yes. been a religious person. I always used to sort of pay lip service to being quote unquote spiritual, but I've never really, when I said spiritual, it was more in, in a kind of let's go and see a you know a psychic medium and have our future read or you know speak to my nan who's passed away or mm. and Elaine and I used to do that quite often. We'd go and see you know a medium or something, a girly night out, and then we'd all go to the pub afterwards you know yes, that was yes. our definition of spiritual playful way of looking at it a bit like reading your horoscopes a bit of a fun thing but we we still got comfort from it Elaine and I have been to a couple of evenings like that in the past and Gosh, so this took it to a whole different level then it did yeah I mean Elaine spoke to me not long before she died she said she, she was on holiday and she she was looking at the notice board in in the foyer of the place they were staying in the hotel and she saw a little man stood next to her. She said, I was looking at the board and I could see out the corner of my eye, a little old man came right up to me and he just stood there. He looked at me and I could see he was smiling without looking at him, she said. I, I just kept looking at the notice board in front of me, but I could see him out the corner of my eye. And she said, I knew that as soon as I turned around to look at him, he wouldn't be there. She, she purposely didn't look at him for a little while, mm. just enjoyed the fact that he was stood staring at her. And she said, sure, sure enough, after about you know 30 seconds or whatever, she slowly turned her head around and sure enough, he was gone. He wasn't there. She, she had these things happen to her. I just liked to think that she was still here with me. Have I you had messages from her or...? Yes, well, I've had very, very vivid dreams that have guided me. There no doubt about that. Mum and I started going to spiritual church and 
had what was definitely messages from Elaine and others as well. Yeah, just, just the interest really sort of hiked up a few notches. I, I had what can only be described as uh, an out-of-body experience one day. I'd been sort of looking into, uh, I was doing a spiritual group Reiki course, meditation, spiritual development type course a couple of years later. And uh, I was doing a lot of meditations, which were around sort of out of body, astral travel, that kind of thing. And unbeknown to me at that point, I'd, I'd had a couple of out of body experiences years before, before we even lost Elaine, but I didn't know what they were at the time. I thought they were just weird. I thought, oh my God, you know, um, what, what's going on with me at that point? Yeah. And, and they, freak, they freaked me out a little bit. And I, uh, I remember a couple of nights in a row um, where I'd had these weird sensations as I was falling off sleep. And it was only fast forward to 2018, 2019, when I was doing this spiritual development type course that I realised that they were out-of-body experiences that I'd been having. And so I wanted to try and meditate and channel my energies to, to try and have one of those purposely there was one occasion where I woke up in in the morning I was kind of you know lucid dreaming in the morning my husband had gone to work I was lying on my side and I felt this what can only be described as a, a vibration in in my back at the at the bottom sort of the the, the coccyx area the, the spine area and I remember sort of half awake, half asleep, thinking, oh, what's that? I ignored it at first, and it got stronger and stronger. So I turned around to have a look at what it was. Then I realised I was actually floating above my body, looking down, and there was this massive, luminous, imagine a, a thick rope, that the type you see on a big boat in the docks. Right, yeah. It was, the room was dark, and this rope was, luminous like the moon it was glowing like a white bright light and it was attached to my spine and it was coming out of my spine and it was going down through the floor of the bedroom right through the the earth right down into the center the core of the earth I realized I was actually looking down at myself at that point and I was a bit confused and then I looked and sat next to me this experience wasn't like a dream. It was more real than reality at that point. It wasn't, you know, a dream is always a little bit vague, but this was, this this was just like you looking, it was more real than, than me sat here now looking at, yeah. at the computer I'm looking at right now. And Elaine was sat on the bed right next to me and she was looking at the me that was looking at her, not, not at the body that was asleep. She was looking directly at me. And she just had her arms crossed and she had this, the biggest Cheshire cat grin. And she was nodding her head at me as if to say, I am here. You know, I am watching over you. She was just sat with her legs crossed right next to my body on the bed, just, just nodding and smiling at me. And I think I, I just, at that moment, just got so excited. I got all flustered and I just pinged straight back into my body and I woke up at that point. So um, that was Wow. Make of it what you will, listeners. But um, for me, that was a real, real sort of um, authentic for me moment. And uh, yeah. And at the end I, of the day, I, regardless of what anybody else thinks, it's about the meaning that you place yeah. on it. And if that's something that brings you comfort or 
joy or hope or you know whatever that yeah. brings you then then that's what it brings you exactly yeah, yeah. It, it was it was I couldn't wait to tell mum you know mum and dad and it was she she'd been sort of having a few dreams and I've been having a few I dream journal as well and I like to make her make sense of my dreams start dream journaling so uh, yeah I've got so many stories about what's kind of happened I could keep you here all day with um, various things so your mum has become spiritually aware as well then yeah she's not maybe to the level that I have and she certainly hasn't had any sort of what she's had the odd little sort of dream where Elaine came along and gave her a hug and different things and said the odd thing to her which has really brought her a lot of comfort. At first before this happened I felt like I'd lost me you know when when you've grown up with somebody from childhood and you've Mm. shared everything you've shared a room you've shared secrets you've shared life you've shared the good times you've shared the bad times you know we know each other inside out I lived abroad for a little while and she came and picked me up at the airport and we'd be wearing the same clothes practically you know and it didn't happen once it happened several occasions we always used to laugh you know um but a real closeness there obviously yeah we were very close. So when you lose somebody like that, I can only imagine, um, she wasn't my twin, but I can imagine what twins must be like. We were very, very close. And when you lose somebody, you know, you lose your identity. You know, that that's part of your identity. Gone, wiped out. Those memories, mm. those things that only you two shared, you know, they're gone, aren't they, forever? So reconnecting through my awakening spirituality has been something that, that's really comforted me I, I feel as though she is with me she I've got this this team unseen you know in you know rooting for me all the time I don't ever feel like I'm on my own you know she's sat here now you know yeah. looking over my shoulder and guiding me and prompting me and things like that you know and it's not just her I've been introduced to I've got this whole I've got, you know, my angels and my spirit guides and, you know, my ancestors, and, you know, there's a whole team to say, I feel like I'm connected up with this team theme and it, it brings me no end of uh, comfort, really. So is this yeah. something that you would be, so as you, as you do your, um, finish your life coaching training, is this something that you would like to sort of incorporate into your work to, to help other people access? Yeah, I think so. If people are open to it, um, some may, some may not. So I won't sort of, I would broach it with people and engage, you know, not, not everybody has the same beliefs or understandings or, but there's a lot of things and teachings that you can bring to coaching someone that are not necessarily as extreme as what I've done or, or gone through or believe. I, I had breast cancer when I was, Mm. I was only quite young actually I was 37 when I was diagnosed Elaine was there every step of the way for me she had a wicked sense of humour she brought in a big three foot boob helium filled on a string with a big smile on her face and uh, so I had this big balloon next to my bed when the <laughs> consultant came around she was mortified you know people don't normally do things like that that would be kind of you know the worst thing anybody would think to do but we knew each other that well she knew it would make me laugh and you know she just kind of like 
okay, I bought you another one. You didn't need that one anyway. Here's a replacement. Let's get on with this and see how we go. And it's oh, just, brilliant. you know, wicked sense of humour. But, um, you know, we, we understood each other and that, that was the, the understanding that we had. Back then, I wanted to be a life coach of some sort. But I just didn't feel ready. I didn't feel I knew enough or I was, you know, imposter syndrome comes yeah. in, doesn't it? I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. So I didn't pursue it back then. So it, it, there's something there that's always bubbled away inside me that I would like to help people, women in particular. Um, I was a single mum, I mentioned earlier. I always felt I liked to empower women very much into eating healthily and having a healthy lifestyle and different things like that. I always wanted to sort of let other people in my situation know that they didn't have to be a victim. I, I saw so many victims around me who were allowing themselves to be victims of, of the situation they found themselves in. And I always had this calling, you know, I'd help my neighbours, just little things, teaching them how to do wallpapering or putting tiles mm. up in the bathroom or doing things, you know, making the most of what they had. So. They didn't have to live in this an area that was classed as socially deprived. I just wanted to sort of encourage other women in, in my yeah. profession. Goodness, with all the experiences that you've got, you know, you've got such a lot to offer. And then, of course, on top of that, this sort of spiritual development side as well, which, yes, there are some people who, who can't relate to that and, and that's fine. But there are also a lot of an awful lot of people who are open to exploring mm. that yeah. with a view to getting guidance or comfort. That's right. I signed up for a hypnotherapy course. I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. You know, I, I get into something and I have to know all the ins and outs of it. Just listening to hypnotherapy wasn't enough. You know, I thought, you know, this is really good. It's really helped me over and over to sort of, you know, by this point I've done a lot of inner work, you know, mm. and... I just thought, you know, I, I could do this. I really would like to look into this now. Now the time's come to sort of do it. So, yeah, I, I did the hypnotherapy course. I've just qualified last year, the end of last year. Excellent. And well done. Currently, thank you. Yeah. So I'm currently doing a coaching certification and it is specifically targeted at women. So hopefully I'll become accredited with the uh, coaching federation foundation. Is that this year that that will finish that yeah. you qualify? Yeah. Yeah. Over the next uh, the next sort of three or four months are probably going to be quite intense. Um, I'll be going through my practical training and need some clients so to train and be be monitored on and um, so yeah so that's all about to happen. Um, but I'd also, um, in collaboration with some other students that were on the hypnotherapy course with me, I'd like to, I'd like to rebrand hypnotherapy because you've got the people that think it's just about chickens running around a, yeah. a stage, or others who think they think it's some kind of mind control, and or that you go into some kind of sleep that where somebody's taking over your thoughts, and it's it's not that at all. So. My goal would be to alter people's perceptions of hypnotherapy and bring it more into the mainstream because so many people, especially with recent times, um, suffer with 
you know, anxiety and stress and all sorts of things. And it's such a good modality for making people more aware, self-awareness, really, and um, what's going on inside their, their heads yeah. and how to sort of heal from that. So, Yeah, oh, that yeah. would be amazing to do that. I mean, I, I trained in hypnotherapy gosh, probably about seven or eight years ago. So I, you know, mm. I'm sort of very aware of the stigma that can be attached to it, but it's such mm. a, a fantastic tool to to help, you know, it helped me hugely and and just in, yeah. in helping people. And and of course the, the silly thing is, is that actually we all get into a hypnotic state you know just yeah anybody who's driven along the road and has <laughs> suddenly thought crikey I don't remember the last two or three miles that I drove yeah. you know they, yeah. they've been in a in a hypnotic state <laughs> yeah yeah that's my favorite way of describing yeah. it to people I think um, yeah. we're all the same aren't we all the, all the people that have uh, studied hypnotherapy will say the same thing that's um, right. it's nothing yeah. it's nothing mysterious or sinister about it no. but it's, it's how just, as you say it's how it's been portrayed isn't it within the entertainment industry yeah it's just a heightened sense of awareness isn't it you know Mm. to the exclusion of everything else around you so um you know you're you're that deep in your thoughts while you're driving to work your body's gone on to autopilot and driven you there while you've been busy elsewhere (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely so yeah Mm. my that's one of my goals is to sort of I don't know I, I don't know exactly where I'm headed. The future's exciting. I, I am, you know, I've got quite extreme beliefs in that I believe it was it was ordained, it was fated, and possibly was the kick up the bum that the purpose of it. My part in this was to get this kick up the bum and uh, go ahead on my journey. I do have quite extreme beliefs that, you know, we sat around a table before this life and we we agreed everything, you know, even the things that happen that are bad, the people that do those bad things. I go down the route of soul contracts and soul groups, how we all meet. And there's so much you could sort of delve into. For me, it just makes it makes sense it probably wouldn't to many 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 people I understand yeah. that but for me it's brought incredible comfort and it, it doesn't mean to say I, I've got this you know perfect perfect life where I understand everything because you know I've had my dark night of the soul you know yeah. I still do have days where I just want to do a day and wallow in self-pity it doesn't you know I'm not sitting here saying that I'm magically sort of immune to all the grief it's not that at all um I'd never like to sort of misrepresent it misrepresent it but it kind of makes you realize that it's okay not to be okay yeah. and allow yourself I used I used to call them glad to grieve days where I'd just stay under the duvet and uh wallow in self-pity for a day or mm. half a day or whatever it might be I wasn't lying there crying or anything like that, but I would just do mindless things, maybe play a silly game on my phone or, and I just needed that downtime, that doing nothing, you know, it really is important sometimes to just stop and do absolutely nothing. 
I do have those. I'm not beating myself up for any of those. Every, it's all good. As I say, I call them glad to grieve days. And, yeah, uh, oh, I like that. They're name. really, they're a really yeah. important part of the process. And it is okay to not be okay because our society is so geared up to not wanting to be in any any sort of pain whatsoever. And yet the pain that we suffer that really sort of paves the way for us to understand ourselves and really appreciate the pain and, and the, the good things in life as well. That's very yeah. much my view that in order to experience great joy, you kind of almost have to have experienced the great sorrow as well to get the to get the balance for it yeah oh well thank you so much for talking with me today Linda it's been it's been absolutely fascinating it's certainly an area that I'm really interested in we miss Elaine all the time you know um I miss her physicality and I still have my glad to grieve days um you know I, I feel her and I sense her and the more the more I, it's like exercise, the more you practice it, the better you get at it, the more your muscles for that yeah. sort of exercise, you know, build up. And it, it's really kind of brings me a lot of comfort. So, yeah. And if I can spread that around a little bit to those people that are open to it, that's, uh, that's become my mission in life. Maybe help ease other people's pain. and Oh, lovely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wish you all the best when you are qualified and and uh, taking out all your um, much needed skills and tools into the world to help people thank you very much for the opportunity as well (laughs) oh you're welcome gosh what an interesting conversation linda i'm so glad that you found comfort in your spiritual awakening after losing elaine in such a brutal and tragic way it's certainly an area i'll be exploring more so thank you If you've been impacted by this episode, please reach out for support. I'd like to thank those who support me in the production of this podcast, Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and lastly, of course, you, the listener. Please hit subscribe and share, or let me know what you got from listening. I'll be back soon with another lesson from loss.